Good morning. Anybody watch any baseball yesterday? <laughs> boo? Where's a boo? These White Sox fans. I'm going to throw you overboard with Jonah. Is it, is, it, is it wrong to pray for the Cubs? <laughs> they need it. So last night, so when, when, uh, when L.A. tied the game in the eighth inning, I was, uh, I was praying, but I, I put my own like, spiritual spin on it, of course. Lord, um, you know I have to preach in the morning, so if you could have the Cubs score like in the eighth or the ninth, that would be great, and that way won't have to be up till 1.30 in the morning like I was last week. So, is that okay? All right. <laughs> and we have blue lights up here today, of course, not because of Jonah, it's because of the Cubs. Well, anyway, so we're in, we're in uh, week two of this two-week uh, mini-series on Jonah, and last week... We read about Jonah, uh, the prophet of God, receiving some divine direction. And we read this, Jonah uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah... uh, Receive some crystal clear divine direction. And he goes right to Nineveh, doesn't he? No. No, he, he doesn't. He disobeys. And not only does he disobey, not only does he say no, he defies and rebels against the divine direction. And he goes in the opposite direction. He actually pays a fare. He gets on a boat that was heading to a place 2,500 miles from where God told Jonah to go. God then caused a storm, a hurricane, to get Jonah to reconsider his choice. But Jonah, determined that his will be done, ignores the storm. And what happens? They chuck him over the side of the ship and he is bobbing up and down in the sea, and that's where we left off last week. And we ended last week's uh, service asking some questions. What will become of Jonah? Will God save him? Will he ever get to Nineveh? What will become of the Ninevites? Will God someone, send someone else to save them, or will they be destroyed? So this morning, we will find out the 17th verse but the lord there it is again huh but god but god provided a great fish to swallow jonah and despite jonah's disobedience and defiance god rescues jonah The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Probably not the rescue vessel that Jonah was hoping for, but nonetheless, a rescue 
vessel. It looked like for sure death for Jonah. But he was saved by a provision from God. Despite his disobedience, despite his defiance, despite his determination to have it his way, God still rescued Jonah. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions this morning. Here's the first one. Have you ever disobeyed, defied, and rebelled against God only to have Him rescue you despite yourself? That is a place, a good place for an amen right there. Unless you have never defied God or disobeyed. Right? All of us, we have disobeyed. All of us defied. All of us have rebelled. And all of us are sitting here today. We've been rescued, just like Jonah. And God rescues Jonah, and then he puts Jonah, we'll just call it this, a timeout. He puts Jonah in a, in a timeout. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. God rescued Jonah and then leaves him in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. He puts him in a timeout. He gives Jonah some time to think about what he did to bring this storm on himself. God gives Jonah an opportunity, a, a chance to admit he was wrong and a chance to change his mind. Another question. Have you ever sensed or felt like God put you in a timeout? I, I, I've sensed that before. Actually, quite a few times. And for me, pretty extreme. When you're in an orange suit and you're looking through a little window, <laughs> chances are you're probably in a timeout. Right, an orange suit or a green one or with some wording on the back. That's a timeout, isn't it? How about maybe being let go from a job? Or we'll just say it, fired. Or Maybe friends and family have, have pulled away from you. And you're in a timeout. Other times, maybe for others who haven't experienced that, but maybe you've experienced maybe a, a, a spiritual unrest or discomfort or uneasiness. And you've just, something isn't right. When God places us in these timeouts, often our response is like we were when we were younger, when our parents put us in a timeout. 
God puts us in a timeout and we get angry. Or we get, we get frustrated. Or we're in a, we're in a timeout and we, we pout. <clears throat> Why am I here? Why did you do this to me? I mean, I remember being in that orange suit in this little square, like kicking the door, going, why, why am I here? Now, that's an extreme case, but, but I think when we're in this, this maybe spiritual discontent and we feel like God has, has kind of shrugged us off, we, we pout. Why, why, why are you doing this to me, God? When God places us in these, in these timeouts, sometimes we, we rationalize and justify the reasoning that, that we're there. Or we finger point. Or we try to escape. I remember being in timeouts from my parents or in my room and then opening the window and escaping. Only to be caught and put back in my room. Being mad and angry at them for putting me there. Never thinking about the reason why I was there. You see, when we find ourselves in a God-arranged timeout, instead of getting angry or frustrated or pouting or pointing fingers or rationalizing or justifying our behavior, instead of trying to escape, what should we do? I mean, many of us, we, we get it. We understand why we're in this place. So instead of this reaction... This fleshly reaction. What would what would be the the spiritual thing to do? Let's see what Jonah did. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, "In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me." From deep in the realm. Of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. He's in a timeout, but he turns to God. When Jonah realizes that, that God has arranged this timeout, Jonah, Jonah finally admits he was wrong, and now he is willing to follow God's direction. He finally confesses. 
He agrees with God about his disobedience and his defiance, and he repents. He changes his mind. It took a hurricane. It took him getting thrown overboard. It took him getting swallowed up by a great fish to finally agree with God that he was disobedient and now he was changing his mind. Who does Jonah remind us of? Anyone? Anyone at all? Anyone want to raise their hand? Don't raise your partner's hand. <laughs> I, I, all I see is... <clears throat> Jonah reminds me of me. What is it about us? Why are we so resistant to the direction of those who love us and know better than us? I remember back in junior high, we used to play street hockey all the time. I mean, this was like the season. And we had a net. And, and my friends and I, we used to shoot in this net constantly. And what I really liked to do was put the net in between the street and our house on the side of the driveway. So I'd head into the street. You see, I could go back further and further and further and shoot it into the net. And one day my dad came out and he said, hey, hey son, um, you're shooting the puck at the house. If it misses the net, it's going to go right through that big picture window there. And we're going to have a problem. You're going to have a problem. And you know what I told him? Dad, please, I never miss. You know where I'm going here. So a few more shots, then of course I backed up even further. You know, like, like the length of half of a, uh, an ice rink. And fired one. It hit the crossbar and went right through the window where he was standing. And, he, and as he's ducking, I was not laughing. Because I'm thinking, I'm going to get in a, in a timeout. So why didn't I, why don't we listen to the direction of those who love us and know what's best for us before we break the window? <laughs> why? We have, a, we have a problem submitting to authority. We have a rebellious nature. We think we know best. Isn't that true? <laughs> Why does it take being thrown overboard and swallowed up by a big fish for us to concede? Why are we so resistant to the direction and the directives of God? We have a problem submitting to authority. We have a rebellious nature. 
we think we know better than God. I mean, that sounds absurd, doesn't it? But, but we do. But at the root of our disobedience and defiance, there is something. It's lack of trust. We don't trust God. We think following His will and ways, when we do, we're going to we'll, we'll lose something. Or we think following His will and His ways that we won't get what we want. So we disobey. And in some cases, we defy and we rebel. If you really think about it, if I think about it, it's absurd, isn't it? It's absurd that we disobey and defy the directions and, the, and directives of a God who, who breathed life into us and proved his crazy, crazy love for us by sending his one and only son to die for us. Yet all of us are guilty of trusting in our own intellect, our own emotions, our own gut, our own common sense, as well as the opinions of others over his perfect plans motivated by his perfect love for us. We're really something, huh? Let's go back to Jonah. We'll come back to this point. Well, as Jonah confesses his disobedience and defiance and changes his mind, he repents. Here's what's really cool. God gives him a redo. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. I mean, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. How many are grateful for God's redos? Amen to that. I mean, how many are grateful for second chances, third chances, fourth chances, and fifth chances on and on? It's called mercy. You see, God holds back what we really deserve. It's called grace. He grants us something we sure don't deserve. And it's called radical love that is far beyond our comprehension. Jonah disobeyed God. He defied God. He rebelled against God. Yet God rescued him despite himself and gave him a redo. That's really something, isn't it? Jonah then goes to Nineveh. He entered the city, went one day's walk and preached. In 40 days, Nineveh 
will be smashed. What happens? The people of Nineveh listened and trusted God. I mean, these people couldn't have been any further from God. Yet they heard, they, they listened, and they trusted God. They proclaimed a citywide fast, dressed in burlap to show their repentance. Everyone did it. Rich and poor, famous and obscure, leaders and followers. When the message reached the king of Nineveh, he got up off his throne. Get this. Got up off his throne and threw down his royal robes. Dressed now in burlap, he sat down in the dirt, a sign of repentance. He issued a public proclamation throughout Nineveh, authorized by him and his leaders, not one drop of water, not one bite of food for man, woman, or animal, including your herds and flocks. Now they're fasting. They hadn't even come close to anything. I mean, they were glutton people, and now they're fasting. Dress them all, both people and animals, in burlap and send them and send up a cry for help to God. Everyone must turn around, turn back from an evil life and the violent ways that stain their hands. And who knows, maybe God will turn around and change his mind about us, quit being angry with us, and let us live. Woo! So, what happens? The ruthless, sinful, glutton, on and on. Ninevites turn from their evil ways and turn towards God. You see, what Jonah didn't know is before his arrival in Nineveh, God had begun to prepare the hearts of the Ninevites. He began to prepare their hearts to hear and respond to Jonah's message. You see, what Jonah didn't know, the superpower. You see, they were going through a time of political unrest. They had just endured an earthquake. They lost their first military battle ever. And right now, at this moment in time, the Ninevites were weak. They were in a vulnerable spot. They were beginning to see that they were not all that. And in their brokenness, they realized they had it all wrong. You see, God had primed the pump for Jonah. And all Jonah had to do was be present and proclaim who God is. And when he did, these Ninevites who were far from God, they, they confessed they turned away from their evil ways and they turned towards God. We never know what God is doing behind the scenes, do we? You see, God set the stage for Jonah. All Jonah had to do was follow the divine direction. When it comes to God's divine direction, which we find in His Word. We, we, don't have to, we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to ponder it. 
We don't have to wonder if we should or if we shouldn't. We don't have to worry about the results. When it comes to God's direction, there's never, ever a misprint. His directions are crystal clear. And God's direction is always about his intention. And as the Ninevites turn away from their sin and toward God, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. You see, no matter how impractical no matter how absurd, no matter how much God's direction contradicts our common sense, it's best we follow His divine directives and direction. I have found the more absurd, the more impractical, the more it contradicts my common sense, and the more faith it takes to follow those directions, the greater the miracle. These Ninevites, the most unlikely people on the planet to come to believe in God and begin to follow Him. I mean, this was highly unlikely. Yet they confessed and they repented and they began to follow God. We never know what God is up to behind the scenes. You see, we have a Polaroid shot of life and God has a satellite view. We think temporal. He thinks eternal. Always. So, after this happens, I mean, Jonah, I mean, we're, we're like, of course, he's absolutely blown away after what just happened. I mean, we probably think he's, he's praising God for God's grace and mercy in his life, and now he's seeing it in the Nineveh's lives. I mean, do we, do we think that Jonah is humbled by the fact that despite his disobedience and defiance, that God is actually using him? And he's just like, wow, this is incredible. I mean, it would seem that Jonah would be just like beside himself to be part of such an absolute miracle. Well, we read that Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Huh? He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? Like I told you these people were going to repent. He was upset about it. That is why I was so quick to flee from Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. What is going on? 
I mean, this guy's a prophet. After he asks God to take his life and God doesn't, we read that Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen in the city. It looks like he was wanting them to, they repented, he wanted them to double repent back to their evil ways. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow over Jonah to, to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine, God's grace, even in the midst of this. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And Jonah says, I do. I am angry enough to die. You know, we, you know, we read that and I, I kind of chuckle and I'm, I'm going, but I'm, I'm like, I've been like that. Upset with the way God's doing things. Anyone? But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Wow. What is wrong with Jonah? Jonah was handpicked by God to be a prophet. And God was grooming him to be one of his guys. And Jonah was actually probably a pretty good prophet. I mean, God gave him this assignment. So what's, what's wrong with Jonah? And as I'm reading this, and maybe you're thinking or asking the same thing, I mean, what about the prayers and the fish? I mean, what, what, were those genuine? I mean, it really seemed like he was turning a corner there, right? I mean, how could he pray like that and then be like this? You ever heard the term um, foxhole prayers? Or belly of the fish prayers, I guess we could say? Maybe, maybe, maybe some of us have prayed those prayers. Right? We're in a dire situation. And God, if you get me out of this. And I, obviously, I don't know Jonah's heart, but I'm, I'm just, I know my heart. And I know I've prayed like that. I mean, how could this be? I mean, this guy, I mean, is he really, really a prophet? 
What is the reason behind this, this behavior? What is wrong with Jonah? Well, an artery of his heart is clogged. That's what's wrong. You see, God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach and to save a nation. But God sent Jonah to Nineveh to reveal his true heart condition. And not only to reveal it, so that God could purify it. You see, in so many aspects, I mean, we read this in the Bible and we, we, again, and we see this in our lives too, we are so focused even on ourselves and what's going on in our life, and God has a satellite view. He loves everyone. He cares about everyone. So in this situation, yes, it's about Nineveh, but it's also about Jonah. It's about Jonah's heart. You see, in this in this story, in this account, I don't want to call it a story. Jonah was probably a good prophet, but God wanted to transform him into a great prophet. And Jonah had all the intellect, he had the training to be a prophet, but he lacked the one thing that was absolutely imperative to be a complete prophet of God. You see, Jonah lacked compassion and love for all men. You see, God, he tried to purify Jonah's heart by showing him the love and compassion of those idol-worshipping sailors that, were, that refused to throw him over. You know, God was saying, look at these guys. God tried to purify Jonah's heart by throwing him in the ocean. He tried to purify Jonah's heart by saving him from, for sure, death. God tried to purify Jonah's heart by giving him a timeout in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. He tried to purify Jonah's heart by giving him a redo and then using him to preach despite his disobedience and defiance. And then he allowed Jonah to not only preach, but to see these, these Ninevites who were far from God confess and repent and turn towards God. God was pulling out all the stops to, to purify Jonah's heart. And yet Jonah was having none of it. You see, God is in the heart purifying business. He's interested on transforming the inside out. And God purifies our hearts by revealing to us the areas that need purifying, kind of like a spiritual angiogram. He administers spiritual angioplasties by sending us somewhere or by giving us a direction or by sending something or someone our way that will reveal our true heart condition. 
For Jonah, it was Nineveh and the Ninevites. As I think back in my life, I think of countless situations and hundreds of people that God has sent my way to reveal my true heart condition. You see, he, he wants to not only reveal our heart condition, he wants to purify our hearts. As you are sitting here this morning, is God trying to and has God been trying to reveal a clog in one of your arteries? Is he using something or someone to reveal it? Is this something or someone revealing that that you have a hint of pride or selfishness or self-centeredness? Is God using something or someone through His Holy Spirit in you to reveal to you that you have a resentment? Or maybe you have a little elitism going or indifference or jealousy or envy or bigotry or racism or even hatred. Is God using something or someone in your life to reveal that you have a critical heart or a judgmental heart? It's so easy to look at others Right, and we read the story of Jonah. The easiest thing in the world is to is to read it and look at it and not to put yourself in it. I mean that's hard. But the Christian life is all about self evaluation. You see, the Lord is trying to purify our hearts. You see, others, certainly they see the outside. But in the spiritual realm, when spiritual things are happening, when the Lord is leading people to Him and He wants to use us, it will be our heart that they will see. like the worship team to begin to come up